The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Leadership today is more than just a position in an organization. It's also a mix of proven practices that produce results. Welcome to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Our program will bring you the how and why of successfully led businesses or organizations with not-for-profit goals and how you can apply the Adesis Methodology and make it work for you. Now, here is Dr. Ishak Adesis. Hello, 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 hello. Good day to everybody. This is Ichak Adizis, Calderon Adizis. I use my middle name Calderon in the name of my mother's family, which perished during the Holocaust, and nobody is left of that family. All 108 of them perished in the over, so I'm keeping it at least as my middle name to keep the memory. Here we are. And Santa Barbara today is gloomy, foggy, even cold. I think it's preparing me for my trip to Moscow, which I hear is still very cold. So this is a warm preparation for my trip, I think. God is taking care of me before I leave the trip. What are we going to do today? I still repeat and I ask anybody that's listening to this program and has something to say, please write to me, to each at adesis.com because I would really like to know how this broadcast is going. Is it helpful, not helpful, how it can be improved, and how I can be of service to the people that are listening. What are we going to cover today is let's finish with this myth, you know, the typical mistakes or the way people perceive managerial process and make mistakes because they take the, they go intuitively, not realizing that some of the rules of management are counterintuitive. For instance, I've seen many times you go to a company, usually a very large one, and um, relatively bureaucratic or aristocratic, slow in moving. And because of that, they go and hire somebody to be the strategic planner. In other words, they believe that they're not moving fast enough or they don't have enough knowledge what to do, so they hire somebody to be the strategic planner. My my experience is whenever I see a strategic planner, I already predict he's going to be puffing a lot, smoking a lot, (laughs) coughing a lot and feeling miserable. They are very frustrated people. Why? They write reports, submit reports, make presentations, beautiful PowerPoint presentations, and very little happens. 
Why is that the repetitive experience that I find all over the world? Because you cannot make a submarine fly by appointing a pilot to look through the periscope. Come on, guys, move to the left, move to the left, move to the right. <laughs> it's a submarine. It's not going to fly. What am I saying to you? If the organization is not structured for change, no single individual can make it move. You know, some companies do the other thing, you know. The company is not strategically oriented, so they hire a CEO who is a good thinker and strategic thinker and strategic leadership. Let me tell you an experience I had many years ago to make this point why that does not work. Many years ago, I was invited to give a lecture to some very large company in a certain resort hotel. The lecture was in the afternoon. I arrived the night before, and I had the morning free. So I was wondering, what should I do? And I realized that this resort hotel had horses for rent. So in my fantasy, I was going to be the John Wayne of the morning and gallop up and down the hills on this horse and have a good time. I went to rent the horse. I sat on the horse. We started our ride. It didn't take me too long to realize this horse has been for rent for many, many years, maybe a long time. This horse knows the path by heart. This horse knows how long are 60 minutes without looking at the clock. He's totally programmed. Now, what are the chances that he is going to gallop up and down the hill? First, I, I, I kicked it and let's go up the hill, galloping. What did the horse do? It stepped two steps to the right and stopped. And basically the tail is moving up and down. And what is it telling me? Calm down, man. Calm down. Okay, back to the path. Now, I realize it doesn't want to go up the hill. Maybe this horse will go downhill. I'm already compromising. Do you realize that? I kick it and let's go left. The horse goes two steps to the left, stops. What is he telling me? And the ears are going forward, kind of like warning me. Get back on that path, bastard. And very soon what's happening? I act like I am in charge of the horse. But who is really in charge of what we do? The horse. Or he's going to throw me off. What happens when you have a big bureaucracy and you bring a new manager is like a new rider on a very old horse. As a matter of fact, I got one guy, a president of a company, decided he wanted to really help society. And he was going to go to Washington and get involved in politics and be, you know, in some major job there and took a major job in HEW at that time, health, education, and welfare. And he's going to make a difference to the world. He's going to change for America and bring all his knowledge which he had from his company in Colorado and really make a difference in Washington. After two years, I met him. He told me, Ishak, he said, do you know what do you get for kicking an elephant in the ass? I said, what? A sore foot. Basically, he went up there. It was not a horse. It was an elephant. 
and it, he tried to make it gallop like he was galloping his little company in Colorado. <laughs> Good luck. In other words, organization has its routine, has its own systems, has its own culture. It has its own ways how it goes about things. It has been around for years. Now you try to make it gallop? It's not going to happen. So you act like you're in control, but you're really not in control. So what does a strategic planner have to do? What does a strategically oriented CEO have to do when you have a large aging company? Don't hire more strategic planners. And please don't hire McKinsey or the Boston Consulting Group to give you a strategic plan. You know what happens with a strategic plan? You will usually file it or you will do only pieces of it. It will just cost you a lot of money for very little. What do you need to do? Before you gallop, you have to rejuvenate your horse. You have to train it to be more flexible. You have to make it younger. Then you can plan how to gallop. What does it mean? What does it mean? It means you have to restructure the company. Why restructure the company? Back to analogies again. When an organization is aging, it's like an old boat. And what happens in an old boat? The engines are frozen. The handles that make the engines turn around are frozen, rusted. For you to change direction, it's not good enough to hire a first-class captain who knows how to read the map and is going to say, move the boat to the left. Good luck. The engines are frozen. So what is the first thing to do is to unfreeze the engines. Make the engines be more flexible. And what does it mean? You have to change the structure of the company, to change the power of the company. Because a or company, an organization is a power structure. You have to realign the power structure before you do strategic planning. Do you see that? Which is, I'm repeating what I told you last week. It's not strategy driving structure. No, my friends. It is structure driving strategy. Tell me your strategy, structure, and I will tell you what, what your strategy is in reality. Not what's on paper, not what you want, but what is really happening. The power structure determines what really happening in a company. The real direction that the company is taking. And what does restructuring mean? Please, uh, we covered it last week. I'm repeating it now. Increase the E component, the entrepreneurial component in the company. Go back to the archives about my lectures and study about PAI or read my book. What does it mean? Split marketing from sales. Split engineering, technology from production. Split even finance from accounting. Split human resources out of human resources administration. And then what the, I will do the next, I will take those four. Marketing, strategic planning, finance, human resources development, technology. Put them all together under one vice president. And his title is called development. What does it mean? Entrepreneurs of the world unite. 
you have to put multiple forces together to get a critical mass politically so the change can happen. In an aging company, the opposite is happening. What is the opposite? They have all the administrators together, chief administrative officers, chief financial officer that has under him information technology, has legal, has human resources, accounting. Oh my God, you cannot change. This is called bureaucrats of the world unite. So if you want to have strategic plans that are implemented and strategic plans that deal with change, if you want to be changing you better have an organization that is capable of changing, which means the power structure is in favor of change rather than in favor of maintaining the same status quo. Let's take a break. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The ADESIS management methodology increases the speed at which organizations are able to implement change and solve their problems. The methodology introduces an innovative process, culture, and system that allow organizations to achieve dramatic growth in both revenue and profits. Build your success from within. Adesis Management Methodology is delivered by the Adesis Institute with offices worldwide. Introducing a new management paradigm. Visit www.adesis.com for the Adesis Institute today. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The Adesis Speakers Bureau can present the Adesis methodology and its approach to harnessing the power of change to your top management team. The presentations, either in person or via a live video hookup, can be delivered in a two-, four-, or six-hour format. Participants can derive immediate benefit from the material and put their new knowledge to use right away. For luncheons, corporate retreats, and strategic planning meetings presented in a variety of languages, visit www.adesis.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Yolanda at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. There is another myth, there's another fad in today's world, I'm talking the last even 20 years, at least 20 years. And it's a reaction to the past. And what is it? 
participative management, teamwork, open systems, you know, trust. It's good, it's good. It's a reaction to the past, which was autocratic, non-participative, I don't know what to call it, the channels of communication were stuck. So we're trying to break that and to make it open. So teamwork is good, participative management is good. Not always, not always. You know what, democracy is not always functional. That's why I'm not too happy with what we are doing as Americans around the world. We are pushing democracy when democracy maybe is not functional in certain situations. It creates anarchy. It enables tribal civil wars. It breaks the country to pieces to the point that some very negative, autocratic, non-democratic forces come to force using democracy as a vehicle to get to power. And what's happening? Worse than what we had before. Participative management, in brackets, democratic management, democracy, is functional really when the company is in prime of its life. In prime of its life. That is what keeps it in prime. It is good and necessary and desirable as an antidote, as a medicine for a company that is aging. By opening the channels, you open energy to come from the bottom. In an aristocratic or bureaucratic company, the energy is dead at the top. If you look for energy, you have to dig down you will find it at the lower, lower, lower levels of the organization. And in a multinational company, you will find out that the headquarters are dead. If you want to look for energy, go as far as possible on the globe away from the headquarters. That's where the energy is. So, democratization of aging companies is an antidote. It's a medicine to rejuvenate it, so it's desirable. And democracy or participative management for a prime organization is desirable because it will be proactive medicine to maintain the to keep the to to maintain the position of the company in prime. So for aging, it's curative treatment. For a prime, it is preventative treatment. But doing participative management in a startup, it's a disaster. I'm sorry, it is a disaster. Everybody starts telling you what you should do and we lose energy and, and the company can actually f die. You need strong leadership. How do you raise a baby? You don't start having participative management with baby. Would you like to sleep? Uh, what would you like to do now? I mean, well, you're the parent. Take responsibility. Tell them what to do. So I would say from infancy, at least up to adolescence, it is not participative. Like in raising children, it's not participative. Sorry. If you want to live in this house, you do what your parents tell you. Period. End of the story. The rules that we have in this house. 
And all this participative management makes the kids go on drugs. No, there is a curfew, there is homework, there is a behavior, there is a respect, there are rules, period, boundaries. Now, in advanced adolescence, like with children, you start listening, it becomes a little bit more participative, getting them ready to take responsibility for their life as adults. Same thing with a corporate life cycle. In advanced stages of adolescence, now you start decentralizing, you start opening the channels, you become more permissive, but not until then. So teamwork until then, participative management, open systems, whatever these words are, are dangerous to the health of the company. Sorry, but that's my experience. Well, what else? Again, what you see, what's the common denominator here? What is the repetitive mantra? It all depends. There is nothing absolute. The only thing that's absolute, as I told you last week, is values. But practice, tools, it all depends. What makes sense in that situation? And what is the situation we are watching in managing companies? Where the organization is in the life cycle. So please, if you find these lectures of mine of any help and you need to know more, go and pick up my book, Managing Corporate Life Cycles, which describes organization change in the different stages of the life cycle and why. And then the other book, In Pursuit of Prime, which tells you what to do depending where you're on the life cycle. And it's all contingent. The goals have to change, the structure has to change, the reward systems have to change, the style of leadership has to change, communication style systems have to change. A hell of a lot has to change as you move up and down, up the, and, and, and back in the life cycle. Back means when you're aging and you want to rejuvenate. So making organizational transformation means changing all of these tools, all of these variables in the organization. There is nothing permanent. As the world is changing and you are changing, so your tools have to be changing. Oh, I think we covered it last week in a, a little bit, but I want to go deeper now. And it is another fad, leadership. Who is a leader? What are the characteristics of a leader? You know, have you ever experienced that you were in a situation Although you're a leader, otherwise, in that specific situation, you were deficient. You could not really do much because you didn't know enough or you were not capable enough. Somebody else that in your organization, in a situation where you're the leader, would have been a nobody, all at once shines. That person is now that somebody that everybody listens to. Why? Because they, for that situation, they're most capable, and you're the least capable. Uh, what would be a good example about rafting? I know nothing about rafting. And a kid, a high school kid, <laughs> that in my organization, they would be probably working in the mail room, and <laughs> no leadership whatsoever, in that rafting trip, he told me what to do, where to sit, how to breathe, where to jump. He was the leader and we all followed him to the T. 
was happening, the condition, the situation called for his style, for his knowledge, and not for my style and my knowledge. And what does it really mean? To me, it means we are all leaders. We are all leaders. The question is, does the situation call for what we have to offer or not? This theory is that leaders are born and other people are born non-leaders. It is bloody elitist, exclusive, derogatory. I don't know. I really get upset about it. Everybody is a leader. Everybody is great, depending whether the condition warranted or not. You know something? I think I'm a leader. I have a lot of creativity. People claim I have charisma. I've lectured in front of 3,000 people and I did not blink. I can do it. I can work with people. I have no fear. I, I, have, I have the energy. But not always. Put me in an accounting department and I shrink to be a, a, a midget. I'm a nobody. I'm not capable of being a leader. I'm dead. So, these studies about leadership are focusing on a certain kind of leadership that today we need a lot. Entrepreneurial, charismatic, mobilizer, of, you know, energetic. True, because most companies that are large, multinational, are becoming more and more bureaucratized, and we need some people that give it energy, steer it up, drive it, move it, mobilize it, because that's a need. We are describing a certain kind of leadership that is needed, but I'm news for you. That's not the only leadership that's needed, and we should go back to the fact and communicate this to people. Everybody is a leader. Today, I'm the leader, but tomorrow you could be. You should be, and I'm willing to follow you rather than you follow me. What else is there? What else is there? Let's take a break. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Learn about applying the ADESIS methodology in your organization's decision-making process. Our comprehensive training programs include a three-day introduction to the ADESIS methodology, Breakthrough to Prime, and Leading Highly Effective Teams, a detailed seven-day seminar. The seminars are valuable for corporate leaders, key executives, and others involved in the decision-making process. Our trainings are available around the world and in multiple languages. For more information about these and other training programs available, please visit adesis.com. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Join the Adesis Graduate School for online master's and Ph.D. programs. Get involved with in-depth research into how change can be managed on many levels 
across disciplines and cultures worldwide. The clinical programs train practitioners with methods that have been used with exceptional results by certified Adesis associates and clients for decades. Core concepts include the proven Adesis theory and spiral dynamics, an emerging theory of human social evolution. For more information, go to adesisgraduateschool.org. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to yolanda at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. Here is another practice. It's not a myth. It's not a theory. It's a practice that I've been fighting all over the world. And unfortunately, I have to admit it, in 90% of the cases, I lose the war. I lose the war every time. But I have not given up yet. I'm fighting it, and I will fight it at the end of my life. And what is it? The practice is that accounting and finance both report to the same person called CFO. It's all over the world. The same structure repeats itself. And it is a big mistake. I covered partially part of it last week when I talked about Enron. I want to go deeper a little bit now to tell you why they should not be together. Accounting has to be precise, not approximately right. It often is also precisely wrong, but it's precise. Why? Because you need to compare to last year and to years before that. It has to be all in the right place. Nothing should be missing. And because it has to be precise, it is past-oriented. So if you look at all accounting, which are called financial statements, they have a date, as of balance sheet, as of profit and loss, as of. And what is a date? From the past to that point. Nothing about the future. Why not about the future? Because the future is uncertain. And accounting cannot have uncertainty. It has to be precise. Otherwise, it cannot be audited. And there is accounting theory. How much should you do about the depreciation? And is it accrual or is it a cash accounting? And how everything is prescribed. There are rules. If you break the rules, you might even get sued by the accounting board or by the government, or by the stockholders. There are rules of accounting, philosophy, and, and, and the theory of accounting, so that you can give 
an approximation about value because that's all it's accounting. Accounting is an economic way of measuring value. Finance is different, should be different. It has to be entrepreneurial. It has to be future-oriented. What do we need for the future? How much money do we need? Where do we get this money? How do we finance our endeavors? What is the most appropriate or smart way to finance long-term investment? You should not have short-term loans for long-term investment, God forbid. And how much liquidity should you have? And what should be your ratio of equity to, 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 to assets? I mean, there is so much to... Everything is dealing with a creative element, analytical element, future-oriented, not past-oriented. And accounting data is a data for the finance to analyze. That's why they start manipulating the numbers back and forth to find out it's called analysis of financial statements, tell you what is going on. And it's a judgment. Different analysts can give you different interpretations of what's going on. You see, there is uncertainty there. There is a latitude there. It's a future-oriented rather than past-oriented. The both of them are different. They got the same MBA, but one turned to be a controller, an accountant, and the other turned out to be a financial guy. What is the difference? Not in the training, although there is a difference in training. It's a difference in orientation, difference in style. Now, what happens when you put the two together? There is a rule, by the way, by and large, when you put E and A together, entrepreneurship and administration, so-called bureaucracy together, by and large, who gets killed, who loses the war, who wins the war? The bureaucrats. There's even an expression in Hebrew, friends go and come, enemies accumulate. By the same rule, entrepreneurs go and come, bureaucrats accumulate. So if you put accounting and finance together, I have news for you. There is very little financial role. It's all accounting, bookkeeping, interpretation of the results, but not for the future, but analyzing the past. And what's happening now, if you put, if you add to it now all the other A functions, legal, human resources, IT, and what's happening now, you get a very strong past-oriented leadership that is holding the past to be sacred. You're walking into the future with your back. You're driving into the future looking in the real mirror. Undesirable. So I fight this. I say, please split finance from accounting. You should have a chief controller, chief accounting officer, and you should have a chief financial officer. These are two different roles. And finance uses the data that the accounting produces to interpret what's going on and make recommendations for the future. They don't change the data, they interpret the data. I don't always win this war because chief financial officers slash chief administrative officers are very powerful in the company and they should not like to lose power when I recommend what I'm recommending. 
because they say there's going to be conflict. And I say, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Because there's a conflict and the CEO knows what's going on. He has two sources of information. Never have only one source of information because when you have one source of information, you become the prisoner of that person that has monopoly over the information that you're getting. Let's take a break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Dr. Ishak Adesis is one of the leading management experts in the world. He has written 14 books that address the challenges facing top management. Books by Dr. Adesis can be found in 24 languages. They can be purchased at the Adesis store at www.adesis.com or on Amazon.com. Electronic versions are now available for three of the books with more to come. These books reflect over 40 years of study in the fields of management and organizational change. Pick up a copy of one of the books for yourself or as a gift today. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Top Leaf is a turnkey management development curriculum that consists of a set of 20 to 30 minute videos presented by Dr. Ishak Adesis, creator of the methodology and founder of the Adesis Institute. The Adesis methodology is considered by many to be a solid foundation for all organizational development. The Top Leaf curriculum is made up of three programs. Top Leaf can be used by individuals, by organizations, and by trainers and consultants looking for new content to offer their clients. For more information about Top Leaf, visit www.adesis.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to yolanda at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. I think uh, we have covered enough typical mistakes or counterintuitive rules or intuitive rules that don't work. Maybe we should cover now, in the 15 minutes that are left today, something of senior significance, major significance all over the world and my experience about it. And it is the following. How to get out of the founder's trap. What is the founder's trap? 
The founder started a company, dedicated his life to the company, literally. I had one founder who told me something that really made me almost cry because I identified with it so much. Because I started my own organization, my own institute. And what he said <laughs> rang so true. He said to me, you know, Chuck, all I remember is when my kids were born and when they got married. I remember nothing else in between. Oh my God. What happened in between? He was building the company. He took all his energy, all his waking hours, all his dreams, and how much it was left for the family, the crumbs. All I remember when my kids were born and my kids got married. I don't remember anything in between. Holy cow. Or the, or the founder of Banco Nacional of Mexico, in a certain dinner that he had in honor of his late wife, for which he started the foundation, said, actually with tears in his eyes, I mean, it was very, oh, touched my heart. And he said, when he started the bank, his wife asked him, why are you starting a company? Why are you starting a business? It is like going to sleep young and waking up old. What did you do in the meantime? One long dream, which is often a nightmare. It requires all your attention. It's like raising children. And children with a lot of problems, because companies have a lot of problems. And it takes you all your time, all your attention, all your waking hours. At a certain point, the founder says, I can't take it anymore. I cannot take it anymore. Ah, what happened to them? They got divorced. They lost their wife. And whom did they marry, by the way, usually? The secretary. Why? Because they're spending all the time with the secretary. The secretary now is a mama helping the founder to build the company. And they jointly share that baby. And the baby is who? The company. But they feel miserable. They feel like they lost everything. They build a company on one hand and they lost their family and their life on the other hand. And they want out. They want out. And they have a difficulty getting out. One founder told me this in a very interesting way. Says, Ichak, when do you think you stop making love to a gorilla? I said, I don't know. Not when you want, when the gorilla wants. In other words, you started playing with a little monkey, little hairy things, fun. And that little hairy thing grew bigger and bigger and bigger and now became a gorilla. And now you don't know who is controlling whom. You feel now that you became a prisoner of your creation and the founders come to me and says, Ichak, I enough, I cannot, I, I need succession. I need to get out. But then the danger is they bring a succession from the outside and that successor hijacks the company, actually, 
controls the company and finds that the founder is interrupting and interfering and he wants him out and he pushes him out and starts a fight in the company for who is controlling the company. Oh my God, how painful can it be? How difficult can it be? So how do we get the founder free? How does it get free from the embrace of the monkey, of this big gorilla? How do we do succession, not planning, succession implementation? Well, I would like to share with you today how it is being done, how it should be done. We have in Adesis Institute a lot of experience about the subject and they be successful in making transition for founders of companies, successful transitions for many years, any size of any company. Here are some tips. I'm giving you tips because the actual process is not as simple. But some tips so you at least get an idea or hopefully I'm gaining your trust and confidence that I know what I'm talking about. First thing you have to realize is that you should go to the outside to look for a successor only as a last, uh, what they call, last opportunity, last chance, last resort. Look for the inside first. Why? Because the devil you know is always better than the devil you don't know. The people you don't know look more attractive. You know why? Because you don't know them. That's why they look attractive. And the people you have in your organization, you don't think they're so attractive. Why? Because you know them. So knowing somebody becomes a disadvantage. Should not be. It should be an advantage. So the first thing I tell founders, stop looking outside. Let's look inside. Is there anybody we can here build and prepare not to be the CEO like you are, Let him start first by being a COO, then to be the president, then maybe to be the CEO. So there is a succession here. There is a step by which we are developing this person and testing him in the job. So that's number one. Stop looking outside. Look inside. Look inside. And one way to do that also is to ask yourself, if this person was outside of the company, would I hire him to be my COO? Chief Operating Officer. Would I hire him to be a COO? And very often I find out people say, oh yes, if I had to hire him from the outside, he will be a COO. Well, if he's good from the outside, he's even better from the inside. What's the next step? You have to prepare the ground for this person to become a COO. You cannot simply land them like a paratrooper and say, starting tomorrow you're a COO. It's from the inside, there's going to be resentment, there's going to be challenge, and he might have a lot of difficulties because they know him. He has been around in a different role for a long time, so how come he's becoming my boss, they might ask. So how do you build him? How do you build him? Here is what I suggest to do. I composed an executive committee, composed of all the movers and shakers in the company. And I appoint this potential successor 
to be the integrator, not the chairman. You make him a chairman, they're going to kill him. Because it's a signal that he's being chosen. Keep your cards hidden. It's not time yet. Build him up to the point when if he swims like a duck, if he quacks like a duck, he must be a duck. In other words, let him behave like a president, let him have roles as a president, and then it's obvious all you're doing is just changing the title. So you're preparing him functionally rather than by title. If you make it by title, they're going to kill him, they're going to undermine him, they're going to fight him, and it's going to be in difficulties. And how they're going to fight him? They're going to come to you, the founder, all the time, bypassing him, complaining about him, bad-mouthing him until you get rid of him. That's what happens when he comes from the outside and the guy starts taking prematurely power in the organization. So, you have an executive committee appointed to be the integrator. And by the way, at this institute, we have a six-and-a-half-day course how to integrate, how to build mutual trust and respect, how to create constructive conflict, how to lead an organization to consensus, how to open the channels so people learn from each other rather than suspect each other. Five-and-a-half-day course which will make you a much, much better manager than you have ever been. Send it to the course. And now you say you're not the chairman, you're not the decision maker, you're an integrator. What does it mean? Identify problems for which we need each other to work them out and leaders to work them out. And what's happening? He's an integrator. But you see, the more he integrates, more problems he solves, more discipline he introduces in the decision-making process, the more he's acting like a president. So if you swim like a duck, if you crack, quack like a duck, you are a duck. So he's, he's functioning as one without the title. And then you do the following thing. You said that executive committee that he is the chairman of and the integrator of, sorry, has authority to decide anything as long as it is by consensus. If not, they have to come back to you as a founder for decision-making. Now, usually, they will feel embarrassed to come back to you. They will try to solve it by themselves. And then you talk to the, the integrator. How did it go? What did you guys decide? And you have the right to veto decisions you don't like. But what's happening? Although you are in control, the person is starting to lead, starting to make decisions, starting to integrate and team build, and that's exactly what you want. And you're watching him. And if he succeeds, eventually, he's already performing as the president anyway. You just call him, from now on, you're the president CEO. You don't relinquish CEO. That is your job. And what does that mean? Setting up investment policies, new markets, strategic alliances, new technologies. That's for you to do. Why? Because founders are very entrepreneurial. They don't want to now go home and count the chicken, or just sit down and, and, and twiddle their fingers. They die very fast if they do that. They need still to be involved. So you give them the entrepreneurial side of the company for them to do. It's like a little studio. Let them study what to do, what new to do, what else to do. So the founder has something to do, which keeps him young. So there must be an agenda that the integrator produces. That agenda 
cannot be changed. They cannot add items at the, at the day of the, of the meeting. So that is the preparation. Everybody knows what the subject are going to be discussed. Founder does not have to come to the session, but can veto any subject he doesn't want to be discussed because he wants to keep it for himself, let's say. That's okay too. And now what's happening? They're starting to make decisions in consensus and who is leading this process? Our accounting person, our finance person, our successor, whoever that is, our engineer. And now what's happening? They're taking leadership because they're acting like integrators. They're leading toward consensus and the trust in them increases. You, as a founder, are still in control. You can still veto decision. You can veto an item to be discussed. But if you don't veto, it's open for discussion, for implementation, and for follow-up. And that's what your potential successor is going to do. And what does he do? Build him up to be the leader of the company. After one year of doing that, year and a half, you might say, okay, he is now the president. And it's going to be very little resistance. Why? Because he has been a president by function all these years anyway. So what's the difference? It's just a title. Okay? All right, guys. Success is not bringing geniuses from the outside. Success is developing people from inside, having good controls, but giving the freedom to act and to innovate. But this is methodology is how to have a system where inordinary results are being produced by ordinary people, rather than in ordinary people producing ordinary results, which is what's happening in Russia. As I told you, I'm working in Russia. And I warn you guys in the West, don't sell Russia short. They have some fantastic people, knowledgeable, strong, smart, intelligent, capable. So how come they're not, you know, felt around the world? Because of the system there, because of the climate there, organizational, political climate. We'll talk about it in future, uh, future uh, uh, shows. Right now, I think it's good enough to tell you there is fantastic talent there underutilized. Thank you very much for your attention and talk to you in, I don't know, how many weeks from now. All the best. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week for Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Please tune in again next Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy your weekend and a successful week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.